God is awesome, isn't he? That was a beautiful song. Thank you. Wow. If I don't look nervous, it's because I am. (laughs) I really appreciate uh, Jim and and the other elders giving me the chance to to once again speak to you folk. It's quite a privilege. It really is. So thank you very much, you guys. I appreciate that. And thank you also for having the patience to listen. I hope I'm not entertaining today. I hope that we are seriously looking at God's word because it is serious. Um, Let's just pray before we start. Thank you so much, Lord, for the time we can spend looking at your word. Thank you for the privilege to have your word written down in our language that we can understand. Always give us the the uh, energy, Lord, to, to read it and study it and devour it and eat it like honey, because it is honey, and it does fill our souls. Thank you so much. Lord, we do pray again as well this morning for Larry's family, uh, for his wife and their two boys as they're going through this time of, of pain. You, Lord, know what's going on, and we just pray for them today. Thank you for this time in your name. Amen. I forgot to give, or I wasn't able to give the uh, the title to the, my message this morning or the, 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 the word, so I'm glad that uh, Dave did give it. The word is defense for the kids if they want to mark it down and try to count them. I don't know how many there are. I didn't count it. But anyway, the message this morning is, is on Paul's defense of his apostleship. Paul's defense of his apostleship. Before we look at that, I just wanted to, to share something with you. When we first moved in uh, to the tribal people, the Monhui people in Paraguay, way back in, in 1976, we began our work there. We could not communicate hardly more than one or two words in their language yet. We didn't understand them. They didn't understand us. And uh, it took us a number of years before we could really understand what they were saying, what they were questioning, what they were saying, especially when we first made that first initial contact with them. We didn't have a clue what they were thinking or saying. And slowly, after we had learned the language, we began to, to, to gain an understanding and insight into some of the things they had thought when we first arrived there in, in Paraguay, or first arrived in the Monhui tribe there in Paraguay. And they, they had been really puzzled as to why white foreigners would want to move in and live among a tribal people. And had we been able to understand some of those uh, questions that they had, we, we would have given a, a real defense of the reason why. And, and our defense of, of, of our reason why we were there among them would have gone something like this. And I'll just give our defense, not what their questions were, because you'll pick it up in a second. First of all, my friends, we would have said, we haven't really come to steal your wives. And another one would have been, uh, no, we we didn't come because we wanted some of your children to to take and turn around and and go into town and sell their children. That wasn't the reason we came. And, And no, we haven't come to feed and to clothe you. This is one of the biggest questions they had. We didn't come to feed or clothe you like the Catholic mission does down on the river. And, and no, the medicine that we're giving you is, is not, because it's not actually poison. You can see some of the things that they thought. And, and no, we're not trappers, and, and we're not traveling vendors, and we're, and we're not uh, soldiers. 
uh, like those that you have encountered before, because they were so isolated, this is all they met was trappers and, 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 and soldiers. But instead, we're bringing you a message from the creator God, the one who made what you see, heavens and earth. So you see, we, we were going to have to make quite a defense, a good defense of both ourselves and our message as we were living there among the people, because they had all kinds of interesting, though wrong ideas, didn't they? And these ideas were mostly due to those experiences they had with other people. They had had their wives stolen. They had had their children taken sometimes one or two. And they had uh, a lot of terrible experiences. And so they expected us to, to be a part of that as well. And we had no idea what some of those mistaken ideas were until years later. And we couldn't defend ourselves, of course. And, and not only that, but their, even when we did learn their language, their, their worldview was so contrary to God's word and to what, in our way of thinking, uh, it would take us even longer because of the, the, we couldn't get our message out. We had to just live among them and learn uh, and prove to them that we were not who they thought we were. Now, in the book of Galatians, there's another man, a man who had to make a, a, quite a defense as well. And we'll know that as we look in Galatians chapter 1 today. Uh, Paul spent the first two chapters making a defense of both himself and his message. He had to defend his character and he had to also defend the purity of the gospel message. And he had to prove to the Galatians that his message was the message that, that uh, they needed to hear and that he was a true apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, thankfully, Paul didn't have the compounded problem that we had when we went in to live among the Manui people. He could speak their language. They all spoke the same language. So that was, that was good. They all spoke Greek. And so, so Paul's defense was of a slightly different nature. The problem he faced was that there had been some Jewish uh, false teachers that, that who they hated him with a passion. And so they came along behind Paul. Every time he planted a church, there were these uh, same, if not same people, similar ones that were false teachers that wanted to get in and agitate the group and cause them to, to uh, they would follow him around on every missionary journey he went, and they were, they were there to, 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 to uh, confuse the people. And their assumption was that if they could get the Galatians to see that Paul was making up his own gospel, and that Paul wasn't really a true apostle, then they could get the people to accept the Jewish traditions and the laws as part of their gospel. So we're going to look at this morning how Paul made a defense. Uh, but before we do that, though, I'd like to review a little bit, because it's been quite a while since I spoke, and we were in the book of Galatians. We've actually covered Galatians chapter 1, verses 1, all the way through verse 10. And I'm just going to go back just a little bit, just uh, to, to look at verses 6 through 10, to just as a review. Uh, and in verses, uh, the first part of this chapter, we saw how Paul's reaction was to the Galatians beginning to depart from the gospel grace. So there in verse 6, what does Paul say? He says, I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the gospel of Christ for a different gospel, a different gospel. Uh, that word, we kind of explained that last time because Paul used this term gospel in kind of a, a sarcastic way. And the reason for that was, we see his verse, his exp explanation there in verse 7. He says, it's not really another, not, not, not a gospel. Only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel. 
So he noted there that they were, what they were beginning to believe was not a gospel at all. Not a, because gospel means good news. And so this was not good news that they were trying to, trying to get to understand. It was a distortion. Now, later on, if I get another chance to speak, we're going to go quite a bit deeper into what, uh, what this distortion was and what, what the real gospel is. But for now, I just would like to mention that what Paul was fighting against was adding human effort to the gospel message. Human effort. Now, we would never do that, would we? (laughs) Now, the false teachers were saying that a person could bring their own goodness, their own merits to salvation. They were saying that obedience to the Mosaic laws was just as important as faith and just as important as grace. So God's grace wasn't enough, is what they were saying. And faith in Jesus Christ wasn't quite enough. There, there was, so this was definitely a distortion that Paul uh, had preached to them originally. And as I said, it wasn't good news at all. And then as we looked at verses 8 and 9, uh, we find that Paul got very, very bold with these people. And he said, if we are an angel, he says in verse 8 and 9, would have, would have preached to you a gospel contrary to what we've already heard. In other words, what he had already shared with them, a simple gospel. He says he is to be accursed. God would, should curse him. That is very strong language. And it gives us something of Paul's, his drive and his passion for the purity of the gospel, to keep the gospel message pure and simple. And I believe that Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, knew that he had to make a defense right up front. He had to get that right out there for the purity of the gospel message. Because if the battle wasn't won, right there at that time with the Galatian Christians, the Galatian churches, all the churches in Galatia, then a distortion of a works gospel would be carried out throughout the whole known Roman Empire and beyond in that day. You know, though, sad to say, to this very day, we do have many forms of a works gospel. I don't know if you're aware of it, but many of the churches, we call them cults, some of them false religions, almost every one of them has to do something to to, to make themselves right with either God or whoever they're worshiping. So it's always a doing gospel. A gospel that says we must do something. And, and, and why, why is that? It's not that Paul failed in his approach to the Galatians, to the churches there. It's not that he failed in his defense of a pure gospel. But it's partly due to our very nature of, of a, as humans. We're always, always wanting to do something. And it kind of goes along with the American, uh, most of your, the, the older generation, it was always like we were, we were to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps, so to speak. That's what the, the phrase was. Because we knew we could do something about ourselves, make ourselves better. And this permeates uh, the whole idea, our whole culture and our whole, our whole nature as humans to make ourselves better, to take some credit for ourselves. Another reason why there's many forms of works, uh, a works gospel proclaimed today throughout the world is that there's a continual spiritual battle going on, isn't there? Paul spoke of that in Ephesians, in in Ephesians 6, 12, where he said, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. It's not not a battle against flesh and blood, 
He says, but against the principalities, against the powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And that's the King James I'm actually quoting from. So you see, Satan knows. Satan knows human nature, doesn't he? And Satan knows us. He knows that if he can deceive people into thinking that they can do something to be saved, or if they can help God in some way, and you hear that, you know, uh, we're helping God. We're helping God. And he helps us and we help him. But that's not true. And all Satan has to do is get these false teachers in there to appeal to man's basic need in succeeding. When he feels he has to do something for himself, and and we see the evidence in that battle all around us today. And uh, there's false religions and there's idol worship around the world that teach that works as part of the salvation process. And, and, uh, And also... We also see another thing. We see that God's word is not honored often, even even in in what are so-called evangelical churches. Uh, they they give a couple verses and they talk about some topic or some some idea that they have to kind of tickles our ears, but they don't get deep down into God's word and, and to see what it's really saying. And so people go away maybe feeling good, but they never heard from God's word, and and uh, so the churches are feeble. They're weak. Because they haven't been fed against and to be able to defend against Satan's attacks. And, and this is one reason, one reason why we really need to spend time, isn't it, in God's word. And, and especially, I think, in Galatians and Romans. Both of these are talking about a gospel that is not according to works. It's easier. It's always easier to appeal to man's ability to help God to do something in order to be saved or to keep oneself saved. We often hear that as well. But these these ideas distort God's uh, very nature by saying that he needs us. God does not need us, does he? God doesn't need us at all. It's like saying that God isn't powerful enough on his own. And this, these ideas are heretical and they're blasphemy because it elevates man, it elevates ourselves to being equal with God. And, and this was one reason why Paul was so passionate about the gospel not being distorted. We also looked a little bit about verse 10, where Paul not only had to defend the purity of the gospel, but he had to defend himself. He had to make a defense. He had to convince his audience that God had given him the authority as a true apostle. I believe the question had been raised by by his accusers. Uh, Possibly they said something like this. Look, you know that the true apostles in Jerusalem had been with Jesus. They had been taught by Jesus. They'd been with him. They're the only real apostles. This Paul, you can't trust him because he's never been with Jesus. He's just a man pleaser. You see, he's taken out all the necessary, all the necessary, vital, good things that we do to be saved, and he's left you with an inadequate gospel that's just too easy. He's just trying to get you to like him and to conform to this easy gospel he's preaching. So he's just a man pleaser. So so Paul had to defend himself against these things to prove to the churches in Galatia that he was not a man pleaser. As it says in verse 10 there, he was preaching something he had not, he, he hadn't invented it. He hadn't made it up on his own. It was the same message that Jesus had given the other apostles. 
So that's enough of a review. Let's go on now to verses uh, 11 through 16. We're going to look at that this morning and try to unpack it a little bit more. And Paul's defense actually, as I said, continues all the way through chapter 2 as well, but we're not going to have enough time this morning to go any further than, than uh, up right up through 16 a little bit. But uh, let's look at it here. Uh, an outline, possibly, uh, if any of you are taking notes, would be verses 11 and 12 would be Paul's message, the defense of his message, and verses 13 and 14 would be a defense of his former life, or just his former life, and, a, and verses 15 and 16 would be his conversion. So let's look at verses 11 and 12. He says here, as, as Dave read earlier, For I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. I would have you know, brethren. That little phrase right there. Uh, another translation would, would kind of put it this way. Moreover, he said, let me make this very clear to you, uh, brothers and sisters in Christ. Let me make this very clear. Or another way would say, listen very carefully, my, my Christian brothers and sisters. I'm telling you this because I want you to understand this clearly. So he's beginning here a defense of his apostleship. And remember that he came along after the other apostles. So it is important that he get this point across. He needed to make it clear and logical to them to convince them that Jesus Christ had also spoken to him. So he says this, let me make this clear that the gospel which was preached by me, is not according to man. It's not according to man. So in this second phrase here, he's been preaching. He says it was not based on human reasoning or human logic. And you see, human beings, we always want something based on our own logic so we can understand it better. And Paul knew that. So it was not according to what man had conceived. What he's saying here is up to this point in time, he had no opportunity to be with other teachers. If he had been taught by men, it would have been probably according to some logic, some human reasoning. And then the message would possibly have been very, very different, more like what the Judaizers themselves were preaching. So it would not have been it because human reasoning and human logic are not, uh, or they're a far cry from the gospel of grace. Now, the last time I shared with you, I also mentioned something else about the Monhui Church, something that we uh, had seen when we were first beginning to teach. We thought we had a small body of believers and we were gathered together and we were, we were trying to teach them. And uh, uh, some of those people thought that singing songs to God was a major part of the gospel. And now, now we do this a little bit, but is this the gospel? No, we might sing gospel songs, but this isn't the gospel. It's just singing. It doesn't. Does it give you strength when you sing? <laughs> I mean, you might feel good, but it doesn't do anything to to make God accept us any better. But the Manhui people thought that. They thought that that they they would gain acceptance in God from God, and that they would gain spiritual strength by singing. And and what they had done was they carried a part of their own culture because they believed that by singing songs to the spirit world, to the spirits, they would gain strength so that they could heal sick people and do uh, do things that were abnormal miracles by gaining strength. And that was their belief. So they had carried that right into the church setting. And it, what they had done was they had created a gospel of their own invention, a gospel according to their own Human reasoning and logic, a gospel according to man. 
And this is what Paul is trying to tell us. So we, we had to do a lot of teaching in order to correct that mistake. And we found out we had very few saved uh, believers at the time as well, because all of them were depending on singing rather than on, uh, on the grace of God. Uh, also, a few years later, we also had another issue in the church, uh, another mistake, another, another uh, thing about the, the purity of the gospel message. But this time, it was the missionary's fault. What we happened is that, that they, we were preaching that the gospel is God's grace by faith, but we were also, because of one little affix in the, in the Monhui language, it's just a, the word is actually, the affix is actually ta. So it's really simple. We were leaving it out of the verbs. And what was coming across to the people was that they had to be saved by the grace of God through faith. But they also had to work very hard at maintaining it and keeping themselves good. Just because of a mistake we had made. They had to be good in order to be saved. And uh, they'd accepted it because it was logical. It made sense to them in their human reasoning. So we were mistakenly teaching a gospel according to man's logic until we corrected our speech. And I had to actually go back because I had just finished Romans. I had to go back and look if I had even put that in the, in the translation. And lo and behold, there was a lot of times when I had actually mistakenly written this verb out with this affix missing. When we put it in, it made all the sense in the world. So that was our, our mistake. But still, it, it caused uh, it to be logical according to man's logic, not God's. You see, a man's natural tendency is always to think that he needs to do something, like I said before, to save himself and, or to please God. And so this idea made sense to the young believers and those who were uh, wanting to believe, but it was very confusing to them. Thankfully, we had this young uh, teacher who understood grace, the grace of God, and he came to us actually shaking because they don't correct people in their own uh, culture. But he came and he says, look, he says, this is causing confusion. I imagine that when the Galatians started listening to the Judaizers, possibly a similar thing happened. The message of grace and faith plus adherence to Jewish traditions. And specifically, it was circumcision was the main one that they were trying to push. Uh, A convert to, to Christianity had to also be circumcised, and, and uh, to this day it might even be, in some churches, be baptism today, but they carry that whole idea of doing something in order to help God. And it felt good, it felt good to these people, so that Paul had to, to remind them that it wasn't about doing something. This is why he had to bring them up short here in verse 11, where he says it's not according to man, not according to man. And then as we go on and look a little bit further in this verse 11, He actually makes amplification here. He says, for I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. And and uh, he repeats that idea that the gospel didn't come from man, no other man had taught him. And uh, I, I think that his accusers were probably saying something like this. Oh, that Paul, that Paul. He's just teaching ideas passed on from somebody else. He's giving you man's ideas instead of what we have received from God through Moses. So they're trying to amplify or put Paul down. And we know that from Paul's own words on down in verses 16 and 17, uh, he says he did not immediately consult 
with flesh and blood there in the bottom of the last part of verse 16, nor did he go up to Jerusalem to those who were the apostles before me. So he didn't have a chance uh, yet. But he says he went away to Arabia, and I believe that's where Jesus spoke to him. He says, yeah, I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. I received it as a revelation from Jesus Christ himself. Now, the first time that I read this statement, um, where Paul says he received, he got a personal visitation or revelation from Jesus, I, I thought, man, that sounds kind of conceited, doesn't it? That Paul was was claiming revelations from, from Jesus himself. But and I thought, who did this guy think he was to think that he could claim this? that Jesus revealed himself personally to him. But as I became more familiar with the, with the text and with other passages as well, I began to realize in the, from the context that all he was doing was giving proof of his claim of being a true apostle. You see, apostle, an apostle had to spend time with Jesus, had to be personally taught. And uh, we, we don't really know what uh, Paul's revelation was in this particular passage, because he doesn't say what the, the revealing or the revelation was. But we do find from other scriptures that Jesus did speak to Paul many times. And this was part of his defense of himself, his proof, his qualification that he was an apostle. Uh, and he was, uh, he had been spoken to by Jesus, just as the other apostles had it. And we have to remember, too, that very little of the New Testament has been written. Galatians is, is like the second book, I believe, that was ever written in the New Testament. Uh, James was the first one, and I don't even know if the Galatians had a chance to read the book of James or if it was ever put out in more than one book yet. But uh, And possibly some say that Matthew may have been, too. But like I say, I don't think that these people had read either of these books. But we do know that Jesus had spoken to all the other apostles while he was there in his three years of ministry with them. He personally taught them for three years. And many of them were eventually going to write out the Gospels that we have today. And we do also know from the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 9, when we find the passage that when Paul was on, you don't have to turn to it, but I'll just uh, give you a brief uh, idea of when he was on the road to Damascus searching for those Christians that he could kill and haul back to Jerusalem and, and put in prison and kill. It says here in verses uh, 3 through 6 that the light from heaven shone down on Paul while he was there traveling. And he got down, he fell down to the ground, probably in astonishment and fear. And, and then he heard an audible voice saying, Saul, Saul, he said, why are you persecuting me? And when he asked who was speaking, the voice said, Jesus, I am Jesus, whom, whom you're persecuting. So get up and get into this, go into the city, and it will be told you what you must do. And we're told in Acts, actually, that Paul's traveling companions actually heard the sounds. We don't know if they actually made out the words or not, but they heard something, and they didn't know how to, what to make of it. And then... Uh, we read, uh, we heard there, Dave read the passage in 2 Corinthians 12, 1 through 10, where he, he gives, Paul gives us testimony of this certain man, uh, he knew who had been taken up to the third level of heaven, and he witnessed things there, and he heard things that were impossible even for a man to, to repeat. Well, I believe that this was Paul himself, and many commentators say this, and I think the text actually shows it, that this was Paul himself who had experienced this, and possibly Jesus even taught him some there. But he was speaking in the third person in that particular passage so as not to, to put himself up, to exalt himself as being someone worthy of such experiences. He was using it as a, as a, as a, uh, a testimony there 
and, and then in chapters 11 and 12, because he was giving proof of his apostleship to the to the Corinthians, just he was as he was doing here to the Galatians, he was proving that he was a true apostle and, and he had these experiences. But then I, I got thinking about that. I thought, well, so if Paul got these revelations, if Jesus spoke audibly to Paul, does this mean that I too could possibly hear Jesus speak? To me today, possibly in a voice or, or in a whisper or, or in a vision or in a dream, is that possible? That would be nice, wouldn't it? <laughs> it really would. Well, well uh, I think that would be possible, actually, that God could, because, because it's, we know in the Scriptures that nothing is impossible for God. But is it, would he, and is it necessary? I don't think so. And the reason I don't think so is because the scriptures have been completed, what we have today. God no longer needed to speak new revelation. One place he makes this clear is in Revelation 22. In Revelation 22, 18, he says this. John writes this and he says, I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. And I, he, I, he may have been talking about just the book of Revelation, but I believe he's talking about all the scriptures that God gave us. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues which are written in this book. That is a pretty solemn warning, isn't it? That's a warning. And God has given us all the scriptures that we need. They're already written down in our Bibles today. So I would caution you to be very suspicious when someone might say that Jesus spoke to them or whispered some new instructions or or they had a dream and they might have thought that Jesus was standing there. And we've heard that. We've written, There's books written about it. But folk, be careful, be cautious, because it's it's we have God's word right here question that we might ought to ask ourselves is why would we ever need new revelation when most of us, or a lot of us, hardly take time to study this one, this revelation. So why would he go on and give us more? By the way, speaking about revelation, there's something sad I want to just warn you about as well. Uh, I heard recently, I've been actually in, investigating it myself because I am a Bible translator I heard about a new tra- a new a new version that's come out on the Christian book market. I don't know if any of you've heard of it, but it's called the Passion Translation, and it is a passionate translation. It's called the TPT when it's on a Bible apps, and it's actually available. You can actually get it and download it on your uh, tablet or on your your, your phone. Uh, it's called uh, it, it's called a new version. It's packed. It's packed. F- it's actually called a translation. And it's, it's, it's packed full of new definitions of some of the old words and many added phrases. I mean, we're talking about some long phrases that are added, uh, to the original, uh, phrases in the original Greek and Hebrew. And, and uh, the sad thing is that it very often it skews the meaning to something completely different than what the actual original authors did. And, and when that does that, folks, it's not a translation. It could be called maybe a paraphrase or something else, but not a translation. But this one is being pushed as a, as a new dynamic translation. So we have to be careful. However, what concerns me just as much as that is that the author of this translation claims to have been visited by Jesus himself and given these new words and meanings. Let me just read to you something off of a video that, on, that I watched online that, that uh, 
that he says himself that Jesus Christ came into my room, he breathed on me, he commissioned me. It felt like a kiss from heaven. It felt like heaven's wind, a wind of God. And he spoke and he said, I'm commissioning you to translate the Bible into this new translation. And he promised that he would help me and give me new words and give me the secrets of the Hebrew language. Now, if you have a commentary, believe it or not, but you got all the secrets already there. A commentary or a, or a, not a commentary, but a, a concordance, excuse me, not a, con- a concordance, gives us all those secrets. So if you study, you'll see them. Or if you compare scripture with scripture, you'll get all the secrets. But this is claiming some new ones. Anyway, I don't want to read him more of his, his quote because it's just scary when someone can complain, uh, uh, claim this because I don't believe that the translator Bible translators are inspired. I certainly wasn't inspired uh, to translate. And I don't believe that we can receive new revelation because if I had, why didn't I get any so that I could do it? I would have done a lot faster instead of 20 years. It might have only taken five years, but folk, these things are, are a warning. It's, it is scary. I firmly believe that inspiration and revelation were only given to the original writers of scripture And they completed it with the book of Revelation that John wrote. We have already been given all that we need. And so we should be looking at it, shouldn't we, (laughs) and studying it. So let's move on down here. uh, The next verse in Paul's defense. Why could he say he qualified as an apostle? So we've looked at the fact that Jesus himself gave him this in his teaching and revelations, it was from Jesus. So he's, he's taken down that argument. So the next one, his former life, his former life, Galatians 13, uh, 1, 13 and 14. Okay, so let's just read these real quickly. For you have heard of my former life, manner of life in Judaism, how I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond Many of my contemporaries of my countrymen, in other words, other other uh, Pharisees, being more extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions. So we get this autobiography of Paul. We learn a bit more about his past. And a couple of questions I had was, why did he include this about himself? I believe Paul was giving these details as another proof. And these are the details. He says, you have heard of my former life in Judaism. And Paul is reminding his readers that something that he was certain that they were already, they already knew something about, that uh, he had been a legalist, a zealot, who was passionate in his obedience to the legalistic system of the Jews. But he was directly in opposition to Jesus Christ. And this is why he states there, he says, I was persecuting the church beyond measure. He was going way beyond anybody had ever done, way beyond we're also given some of that amplification in Acts 9, Acts 9.1. Luke tells us that Paul was breathing out threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. He wanted to kill them. That's how passionate he was. He'd been doing everything he could to destroy them. So he's saying, in kind of an amplification of that, in my own words would be, he was saying, look, people, at my former life that you already have heard about, there's no way I could have suddenly changed directions. I was deep into the the, the Jews, the laws of the Jews, the traditions, uh, my circle of friends. Uh, they wouldn't have all of a sudden given me the gospel to, to turn me around. No, he says, I was a legalistic Pharisee, a zealot and a fanatic. I couldn't have changed myself. 
if I'd have wanted to, because of my hatred. I was continually doing everything in my power to destroy to destroy those people. So his point was this, how on earth could he have gotten a different gospel or the gospel that he had from men? All those around him were Jewish. All those around him were teaching the traditions and legalism. So where did the gospel of grace come from? And this is Paul continuing his defense that he could not have been taught by men. So what happened next? What happened next? Point three, Paul's conversion. Verses 15 and 16. He says, but when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb, called me through his grace, he was pleased to reveal his son in me. But when God, that's, that's, that's awesome. And when you compare this sentence with other versions of the Bible, at least all the ones that I know are true translations, they all say, but God, they use this little word. Even Spanish does for Ed's benefit. <laughs> so anyways, it's pero adios in the, in, in English grammar. For those of you who just love grammar. All right. This is, this is called an adversative conjunction, which means, and I love grammar, sorry about that. <laughs> it means, it's usually signaling uh, an upcoming event, a contrasting thought that's negative. But Paul had already given the negative, hadn't he? Being uh, destructive in his, in his whole way of life. So this was actually a, a, uh, a positive note now, this English conjunction. But it's actually a, a little Greek word, de, de, actually what it is. And it's always important because it, it always is a sign that something coming next is very important information. And that's what this was. But God, but God, it's, it's tremendous hope that we have as well. What follows? Because Paul, though he was an unsaved legalistic Pharisee, and he'd been out to destroy the church and everything that God had put in place, there was hope, but only because of God. Translated kind of loosely, Paul's statement here kind of would go something like this, and I love making it into different words so we can understand it. He said kind of like this. He says, "I, I, uh, I was continuing in a dis- continually in a destructive mode as an extreme legalist who thought he was doing God's work by decimating those who followed the way of Jesus. But God had other plans for me because of His loving grace. He had already set me apart before I was even born." to be his witness and take the gospel to the Gentile world. So you see, it was really not about Paul at all, was it? It was really about God, all about God. He had nothing to do with it. He couldn't do it on his own. He couldn't change his own. He couldn't do some merits because of his own destructive, vile life. Neither was it because of other men who had gotten in and given him the gospel. Paul had heard the gospel many times. That's why he hated it so much. To the core of his being, no, it wasn't about any other man. It was only about God. That was Paul's best defense of being a true gospel, a true, a, a true apostle, was that God's hand was on him and God had changed him. It was God alone. And, and so this should be great hope for us as believers, shouldn't it? That God alone has changed us and made us his own. He's forgiven us, but not only has he forgiven us, but he's made us righteous, right standing in his eyes because of his grace, absolutely righteous. So how could we think of doing, of thinking that we could do anything to help God. We can't. And this also should answer the question of any unsaved as well, who might think that they could help God by doing good things to gain merit. The gospel message is the same today, isn't it, as it was for Paul. We can't save ourselves. 
We, like Paul, were lost in our own sin and puny in our efforts to save ourselves. We were completely without hope. In fact, in Ephesians 2.1, it says we were dead in our sins and trespasses. And you know what? In Ephesians 2, if you go down down in Ephesians 2, Paul makes that same statement. But God, who is rich in his glory, saved us. In closing, in closing, let me just read some other words that Paul has for us in his book in Colossians. Turn over in Colossians 1, uh, 12 through 14, and I'll just read this real quick here. Colossians 1, 12 through 14. Paul told us to be joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. For he rescued us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us. He transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So who did this? God. It was but God alone. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting KootenyChurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.